Hey, RCC, welcome back to week two of Good Grief. I'm, I'm really excited to be here again two weeks in a row, man. What a, what a pleasure. I usually get to come down, I don't know, two or three or so times a year, but man, because of COVID, it's been a long time, but two weeks in a row, that's exciting for me, uh, even if it's not for you. So thanks for having me back. Um, hey, so quick review in case you missed last week. I mean, let's just be honest. And COVID time last week is like a year ago. So what we talked about last week is how important it is for us to grieve losses. And we know when we hear the word grieve or grief, we associate it to the death of a a friend, a loved one, a spouse, a neighbor. I mean, it's about physical death. And while grieving a death like that is critically important to our, you know, emotional health, all losses have to be grieved. I mean, because every loss ultimately is a death. And every death gets buried. So here's what we said last week. We said if you have lost something, no matter what it is, I mean, a job, a house, an opportunity, a dream, I mean, no matter what kind of loss it is, and let's come on, 2020 is marked by the word loss. We have all lost so much this year. And all of those losses are big deals. And we either will grieve them like we need to and kind of sit in that sadness and sit in that, you know, kind of, you know, feelings like that. We don't like them, but we sit in them. And by doing it, we allow ourselves to grieve it. And then we can bury it and it can rest in peace. Of course, what, what most of us do is, is not bury it because we don't know, well, I mean, we don't grieve it because we don't know it's gonna get buried. So we lose things, we have a loss and, and we don't really do what we're supposed to do. We, we don't grieve it. And then it ends up being buried because it's a death, but it gets buried alive. And it comes back to life and it haunts us for years and years and years. Or in my case, like I said last week, for 25 years. I mean, for 25 years, I lived out of an ungrieved loss. When I was 15, like I said last week, I was cut from the JV basketball team. And, and I didn't think I was cut fairly, but whether it was fair or not kind of didn't matter. The reality is that I didn't make the, the team and, and it was a loss. It was the death of a dream for me. And I didn't know I was supposed to grieve it, so I didn't. And instead of grieving, I just got angry, and I got frustrated, and I kind of lived out of that determination to never be treated that way again and to never lose again. For 25 years, it followed me. I mean, whew, that's a big deal. Ungrieved losses are big deals. So if you missed last week, you should definitely go check that out. It's an important thing to learn. Now, of course, the reason that we don't grieve losses is, well, it's probably two. One, we just don't know we're supposed to. I mean, we know that we're supposed to grieve deaths, but we've never been taught that every loss is a death. And so we just don't know that we're supposed to grieve them. But but the other reason we don't is because it's just uncomfortable. Grief is uncomfortable because grief requires that you sit in that negative space that you feel those difficult emotions. And we don't want to do that. So do you, do you know what we typically do when we experience loss? We all do it. We do one of two things. We either medicate it or we minimize it. We, we medicate it or we minimize it. Now, medicating, you know what that is, right? I mean, it's, it's when we numb the pain. And gosh, we all do that. And we do it in lots of different ways. So sometimes we numb it literally through medication. Sometimes we numb it through alcohol. I can't even tell you how many people I've met who have had a, a, an affair or even a, an emotional you know, moment in a marriage that was unhealthy with someone else. 
And when you dig deep enough into the reason behind it, so often the reason is they're medicating something. They're trying to numb something. You've heard maybe we all have a different vice. I mean, I have one too. It's baked goods. I, I can't even tell you how many cinnamon rolls and donuts I've eaten in 2020 because this has been such a bad year and we have all lost so much, me included. I won't bore you with the list, but it's a pretty long one. And I have found myself wanting to medicate and numb all that pain instead of just feel it and grieve it. I, I haven't even wanted to do it. I've even wanted to medicate it. The problem, though, is that medicating the pain doesn't really help the pain, right? I mean, medicating hurts us without helping us. That's the problem. Medicating always hurts us. There is no version of medicating the pain that makes the pain go away. It's all temporary. It just numbs it for a minute. And on the other side of that minute, the pain's still there. The loss is still there. It's been buried dead, and you're worse off than you were during the loss. We could do a whole message on that. We're, we're going to, maybe another day we'll do that. But, but I want to talk more about the second one for a minute, minimizing. Because medicating pain is an obvious problem. I mean, no one would say, oh, no, I think drugs is a good use of time when you have experienced loss. I mean, no one would say that, you know. But it's the minimizing one that's so much more subtle I mean, you could almost say that medicating is an overt reaction to loss, but, but minimizing, it's so much more covert, so much more kind of behind the curtain. You, you don't really know that you're doing it. But this is maybe why this one is so difficult. It's why minimizing can be so dangerous. The reason we minimize is because we are tempted when we experience a loss to compare our losses the losses of someone else. And you know how the game of comparison, I mean, there is no win when you compare a comparison because when you are comparing your experience to somebody else's experience, you're always going to find somebody with one not as bad as yours, and you're always going to find someone with one way worse than yours. I mean, I, if I could kind of let you into my life for a minute, that's been a story of mine lately. I mean, I have experienced some losses this year that have been kind of a big deal for me. I mean, one of the biggest deals recently was something with just with my son. He wasn't able to go through graduation. He was a senior in May, and he didn't get to go walk the stage for graduation. He wasn't able to have a big graduation party. I mean, all the things that you should be able to do as a graduating high school senior, he wasn't able to do. And it grieved him. I mean, it was a loss for him, but it felt like a loss for me as a parent. Meanwhile, I've got a staff member whose wife has cancer. And so my temptation has been able, I just constantly hear myself inside going, yeah, this really stinks, but at least it's not that bad. Why am I feeling so bad about it? Why am I allowing this loss to be such a big deal? That loss is a big deal. Mine, mine's not a big deal because that's what we do. We're tempted to minimize it and say things like, I should just be able to get over it. But, come on, right? Has, has just get over it ever helped anyone, you, get over it? Of course not. I mean, when someone says to you, or even when you say to yourself, I should just get over it. I should be able to get over this. Has that ever helped you? No, of course not. You know what get over it is? Get over it is code for bury the loss without grieving it. That's what that is. But, but this is what we almost all do, because we're all such great minimizers. 
when we are tempted to kind of minimize our own losses, what we actually end up doing is minimizing our need for grief. And this is really important. No matter how significant you think your loss is compared to the losses that you're seeing in other people, if it matters to you, it matters. If it matters to you, it matters. For some of you, that is the most important thing you're going to hear because you are so tempted, because you're a minimizer like me. You're so tempted to look at your loss and compare it to everyone else and say, I should just get over it. It's not a big deal. It is a big deal. Every loss is a big deal. And if it matters to you, it actually matters. But before you kind of are tempted to push back or minimize the idea, here's what you should know. The Apostle Paul actually believes that too. I'm not making this up. This is actually something that Paul has taught. He's taught it to the Corinthian Christians. We have a couple of letters that he wrote to the city of Corinth, to all the Jesus followers, the Christians there. And in one of the letters, the second letter, 2 Corinthians, he actually talks about God's perspective on loss and God's perspective on the things that are bothering you. So if you've lost something, it matters. And if you have lost something, God knows. and He wants to do something in your life and in your heart about that loss. Here's what Paul writes. He says, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, really quick. He says, praise be to God because he knows God cares. He's praising God because he knows God isn't some distant police officer who's waiting just to zap people for getting it wrong. He realizes that God is a God of love and compassion who truly cares. So he praises him. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. The father of compassion. The father of compassion. And the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles. Not some of our troubles. Not not the God of compassion for the people who have real problems. But but the God of compassion and all comfort for all trouble. See, like we said earlier, if, if it matters to you, it matters, and that's true. But here's something else we should add to it. If it matters to you, it matters to God too. If it matters to you, it actually matters to God. If it matters to you, God cares. He cares. And he wants to comfort you. He wants to come alongside of you. He, he wants to support you. He wants to embrace you. He wants to show you mercy and show you grace in the moments where you need it the most. In fact, God has actually promised to do that. Did you know that? That God has never once promised to take away the problems. But he has promised to love you through them and to give you grace when you need it the most. That's the kind of God that we praise. It's the kind of God that we love because he so deeply loves us and cares about us. Whether the loss is something that we caused or whether the loss was just caused on us, it doesn't even matter. He's the God of all compassion. He's the God of all comfort. 
cares about every single version of your trouble. That's why Paul writes that. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. But hold on, because he wasn't finished with the statement. That part of it's true. I mean, God cares so deeply about you. But he also cares for the people around you. Remember that most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, meaning you, but meaning everyone else around you, too, the exact same way. If God so loved the world, it means that maybe his comfort isn't just intended for you. Here's why God comforts you, so that, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. This is so important to understand. God cares about your troubles. He cares about comforting you. And he wants you to experience his comfort. But do you know how he does that? Do you know the mechanism through which his love and comfort and care comes through? From other people. Almost every time you have felt God's comfort, it's probably been through another one of his followers, another fellow believer. And that's how comfort from God works. And I think it's actually kind of strategic. When you think about it, how easy is it for us to understand things like unconditional love and unconditional concern and care? It's almost impossible to understand that. There's nothing in our world that operates that way. There's nothing in our world that teaches us things are unconditionally in your favor. But God is. But God is. And the only way to even begin to understand something that difficult to understand is through experiencing it. Which is why God has chosen to comfort you through others. And it's why God wants you to experience that comfort so that you can turn around and comfort others too. That you can be the hands and feet of a loving Heavenly Father. That you can be the warm embrace of a loving God to others. I mean, that's actually, that's actually what we're supposed to do as Jesus followers. When Jesus took all the commandments and boiled it down to one thing, he said, if you get everything else wrong but get this one thing right, it's all going to be fine. To love others the way that I have loved you, to treat others the way that I have treated you, to see the trouble of others the way that I have seen your trouble, to comfort others the way that I have comforted you. I mean, it's this beautiful way of Christianity and Christian living. It's the way it's supposed to be executed. I mean, every good counselor would tell you that if it matters to you, it matters. But but Paul takes it further because he understands the importance of understanding God's love and God's compassion and God's concern. I mean, if it matters to you, it, it matters to God too, but it's bigger than that, right? It's bigger than that. Because if it matters to them, it matters to God too. If it matters to them, it matters to God too, which means if it matters to God, it should matter to us. Things that matter to others should matter to us because it matters to God. The the, the troubles that other people experience should matter to us because it matters to God. 
the losses that other people experience should matter to us because it matters to God. Because as a Jesus follower, we are called to be an ambassador of God's compassion to a lost, to a hurting world. And maybe nowhere more than in 2020. I mean, we're supposed to be those ambassadors. We're supposed to be the person providing care to that hurting world. And you know why we typically miss that? It's not because we're bad Christians. The reason we miss that is because we're minimizers. We're just minimizers. We, we, we tend to minimize our own losses, our own troubles, but then because of that, we're, we're tempted to turn around and minimize the losses of others, to minimize the trouble of others. And instead of kind of being God's conduit of compassion and care and comfort, we're, we're kind of our conduit of minimizing it because we compare it to everything else. I mean, I know you haven't said this specifically, but maybe you felt it or maybe you've heard somebody else say something like this. It's, it's just kindergarten graduation. I mean, come on. You're six years old. I mean, I know it's, I mean, it's kind of a big deal now, but I mean, seriously, I mean, it's just kindergarten graduation. You're going to have a fifth grade one. That's not a big deal either. An eighth grade one, whoop de doo High school graduation, that's a little more serious. I mean, it's just kindergarten graduation. It's just one dance recital. I mean, what's the big deal? It's just one dance recital. You're going to have dozens more. It's just one. It's just one summer of camp. This was our house this year. Our kids loved going to summer camp. And our two youngest kids, the ones that are still living at home, they didn't get to go this year. And it was a really big deal. And, and, and I grew up going to the same camp that they go to. And, and when I recognized that they were going to get to go, and then we got the email that they had officially canceled it, my first thought was, I'm 46 now. I know it was a big deal when you were 14. It was a big deal to me when I was 14, but it's not a big deal anymore. It's just one summer of camp. I'm glad I didn't say it out loud, but I felt it. I mean, some of you were doing that to me, weren't you? Some of you were thinking, it's just JV basketball. I mean, it's not even varsity basketball, Gavin. I mean, I know you're wearing Jordans, but that's as close as you're ever going to get to playing in the NBA. Big deal. It was JV basketball. I mean, you were 15. Who cares? It's not a big deal. Don't feel bad if you felt that as I talked about it last week. I get it. I mean, I'm a minimizer too. I'm fantastic at it. In fact, I'm such a good minimizer. When I was 15 and people said that to me, I just believed them. And I tried to minimize it. And I just tried to move on. And for 25 years, it haunted me. Because that's what happens when we minimize losses. We still bury it. We just don't really grieve it. And man, right now, and we've said this before, there are so many losses, which means there are lots of people losing things. I mean, come on, your kids, your kids have lost so much. And as a parent, listen, as a parent, you're a minimizer too, like me. And your temptation is going to be to look at your kids and say, with the perspective of being a fully grown adult with a fully developed frontal lobe, right? Your, your, your temptation is going to be to look at the kids and go, it's just, it's just, it's not a big deal. I mean, come on, it's not significant. 
Nobody's dying, but it feels like it because every loss matters. And if it matters to your kids, it matters. And it matters to God. And it should matter to us too. I mean, your spouse, if you're married, your spouse has lost so much. Your friends have lost so much during the season. Your neighbors, your coworkers. I mean, everybody you see, everyone who is breathing today has lost something in 2020. And most of us have lost a lot in 2020. And you know what we need? We need Jesus followers to come along beside of us and embrace us with the compassion and the care of our Heavenly Father. We need people to come alongside of us and remind us that if it matters to us, it matters. And if it matters to us, it matters to God. And He cares. And He's paying attention. And He wants to comfort you. And, and we need to be those people for others too. We need to be the kind of people who come alongside of others and not say it's not a big deal. We need to come alongside of others and say it is a big deal. It's a loss. And I want to help you grieve it. I, I want to sit with you in it. I, I don't want to walk by and see you down in a well and drop a ladder down and say, I hope you get better. We need to be the kind of people as Jesus followers who walk by and see people sitting in the well and we crawl down and just sit with them and we hug them and we love them and we just sit as long as we need to because we're the conduit of God's love, of his compassion, of his care. And when we get that right, you know what people do? Not only do they learn to grieve their losses well, they learn to praise their Father in heaven, just like Paul talked about. You see, we should never minimize what matters. And every loss matters, which means we should never minimize any of them. We should never minimize what matters. In fact, we, you should never minimize, minimize what matters to you, and we should never minimize what matters to others should never minimize the things that actually matter to us. And in the same way, we should never minimize the things that matter to others. Because if it matters to you, God, it matters to him. But if it matters to them, it also matters to God. And anything that matters to God should matter to us. And I probably don't need to remind you, there's a lot at stake with all of these losses. I mean, we've lost so much. And what's at stake is, is really our emotional health and our spiritual health moving into our futures. I mean, I won't go through the whole thing again, but like this whole basketball thing when I was 15, it was such a big deal. It was such a big deal. Now, I'm 46 now. When I look back, I mean, it doesn't seem like it should have been a big deal, but it was because at 15, that was my life. It's the thing I loved the most. It's the thing I cared about the most. Basketball was what I did every free moment of my life. And when I walked into the coach's office and saw that door with a list of names of the team and my name wasn't on it, it was devastating. It was the death of a dream. And when I got home and I told my parents, I was so angry about it, and I told them, I don't remember, but I feel like they said something like, it's not that big a deal. 
And I know what they were trying to do. They were trying to give me perspective because they were adults. They were trying to tell me that at 46, it wasn't going to matter anymore. That when I became an adult, when I got a job, when I got married or had kids, the grace of God, that the basketball thing wouldn't even matter anymore. Whether I played in JV in 10th grade or not, I mean, it wasn't going to make a difference anymore. And while that's true in hindsight, it wasn't true in the moment. In the moment, it meant everything. My friends would say it didn't really matter. That recreation basketball coach who I played for, by the way, who was happy I got cut because he loved me being on his team, right? But he even said to me a couple times during the season, why are you so angry when you play basketball? I know that you got cut, but it's not that big a deal. And you know what I did? I believed him, or at least I tried to. But inside of my heart was this war raging, Because inside of my heart, it felt like a big deal, but everybody kept telling me it shouldn't be. So I tried to believe them, all the while internally knowing that it it felt worse than they acted like it was. It made me think something was wrong with me. It it made me think that there's something wrong with me that I wasn't able to get over it. But there was nothing wrong with me. What was wrong was the people around me. Instead of sitting with me in it, He just told me to move past it, to just get over it. And that's what I tried to do. And I did. 25 years later, I don't want that to be your story. I don't want that to be another person's story. And it doesn't have to be. But I'm afraid the only way for that to be true is for us to probably come alongside and love those people and embrace those people and to force them to think about their losses and to sit in the well of sadness with them as they process it. Because if it matters to them, it matters to God. And if it matters to God, it should matter to you. Ungrieved losses create a lot of pain. And they don't really go away until we decide to dig them back up, to re-grieve them, and to finally bury them in peace. As a Jesus follower, we can do that. And we actually have an advantage over the non-believing community because we're not doing it by ourselves. We're doing it with the love of God through the people around us. You could be one of those people. That's actually, that's actually my prayer for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Oh, I wish that we just didn't ever have to experience loss, and I wish that we could just move through this world unscathed, but we know that is not true. I mean, your son, Jesus, you promised us that we were going to have trouble. You literally said, in this world, you will have trouble. But then you followed it up with a second promise. Take heart, I have overcome the world. So God, I don't want to say thank you for the trouble, I know we're supposed to be joyous when we face trials. That's really hard to do. But, but I do pray that when we are facing trouble, we will look to you. And that when we see other people facing loss, we won't be tempted to minimize it. Instead, I pray that we will maximize the opportunity to sit with them, to embrace them, to engage in that loss with them. Help them understand that it really does matter. And if it matters to them, matters to you and that we can be your conduit of compassion. I thank you for that opportunity. 
I mean, what an incredible opportunity that we have to represent you to other people. So I pray that we will get that right. And I pray that we'll take advantage of those opportunities. Father, we love you. And Jesus, we pray all of this in your name. Amen.